This week's episode contains themes of depression, suicide, incest, murder, and violence. If that isn't your cup of tea, that's fine, and we'll see you next week. Rock and roll, kids. <laughs> we sure are. I'm leaving that in forever. You know that BuzzFeed article that was like 21 things white people love to say? One of them was like, dad coming out of the uh, bathroom after using the bathroom at a restaurant before leaving, shaking his hands dry, ready to rock and roll, kids, and that's all I can think of. That is me, though. That is my entire aesthetic, I though, did that Mackenzie. the other day, because you know how we don't have paper towels? Yeah. I came out of the bathroom, I was yeah. like, whew. All right. Well, (laughs) welcome to Spilling Tea, the podcast where two friends sip tea and spill literature's dark history and air dry their hands, apparently. (laughs) I'm Jane. And I'm Mackenzie. And this week is going to be dandy because both of us have been having a time with our homework. I have four essays due in the next week and a day. Me too. I also misread my calendar last night, so I thought I had an article critique and an exam for one class, and then got into class, asked the person next to me, oh, where are we putting our article critiques, only for her to go, you know they're due next week, right? <laughs> and I cried, because I didn't really study for the exam that much. Because you were working on the Because I was working critique. on the article critique. I love college. Love college. It's doing great. We're doing great. Everything's great. Great. Yeah. Groovy. Groovy. <laughs> so, um... It's going to get even better because this week we are talking about Shakespeare's Hamlet. Woo, woo! This is where my English major theater minor heart just explodes. (laughs) Which is great because, like, I'm not huge on this book, but I also am not huge on a lot of Shakespeare. That's valid. I I know, I know all the, like, English majors in the world are going to hate on me, but it's just not, it's not, I'd rather... Virginia Woolf, you know? I think that's also so valid, though, because I, too, would rather read Virginia Woolf than yeah. 90% of Shakespeare. Yeah. And, like, I, I read Shakespeare for my major all the time. You read so much Shakespeare <laughs> for your major. Like, so much. Every time I'm like, Mackenzie, what are you doing for homework today? And you're like, ah, oh, you know, some Shakespeare. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love that that's my voice now. Ah, oh, you know, some Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I'm still sick. Welcome. Jane never gets better. She's in a constant state of being sick. And if I have to deal with it, so do our listeners. All two of them. One of them. Shout out to our two listeners. <laughs> that know us in real life, and we that love know you us dearly. Also, if you don't know us in real life, but you listen, like, wow, we, we shout love out to you. Because what? Our friends only listen because we yell at them, too. <laughs> We're sad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get into the tea, because I need some healing. Mm-hmm, yeah. some, some heavy healing. So, for Hamlet, our tea this week, and this is going to require a bit of explanation. Ooh, I it's like it. It's not a stretch, it's just very unusual. It's just it's just a hop and a skip away from being inexact. Yeah, it's not like, it's a Danish breakfast tea. Because they're in Denmark. Like, that's not today. That's not what we're here for. Alrighty. So our tea this week is from Dobra Tea, which is our favorite. Ah, we love Dobra. <clears throat> and it is an Eastern Winds tea. Ooh. So this, the website describes it as a succulent blend of jasmine, rose petals, violet leaf, rose hips, hibiscus, cinnamon, ginger, orange peel, star anise, and cloves. That's so many flavors. It is a lot of flavors. This slightly tart combination of herbs and spices makes a beautiful red infusion in the cup. Red infusion. So I chose this tea because of the whole scene in Hamlet where I almost said spoiler alert and then I realized our whole podcast is one giant spoiler alert. Yeah, I really hope no one listens to us and like expects (laughs) to be like, oh yeah, they're gonna like talk about something about the book but not talk about the book no no no. we talk about we spoil all the book we spoil everything so but the scene where ophelia loses her mind in act four scene five there's a bit where she's handing out flowers to everyone around her flowers and herbs Mm -hmm. and talking about the symbol the symbolic meaning behind the flowers but the flowers she so i looked for that because i was like oh this could be a really neat thing if i can find a tea that's inspired by that she hands out rosemary, fennel, rue, um, daisies, which are not 
things that you generally find in tea, but no. she does hand out violets, which okay. there are violet leaves in this tea. And are I daisies kind of even like to... edible? Are daisies edible? Listeners, tweet at us and tell us if daisies are edible. You know what? No, well, you continue going. I'm Googling this. <laughs> we gotta know. So, yeah, I chose it because it's kind of like how when Ophelia is handing out all of the herbs and flowers, it kind of seems like a random mixture of them. And I thought that this tea was a nice representation of that kind of random mixture of flavors and appearances and scents and flowers and all that jazz. I'll accept that. Yeah. Yeah, that's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's also oh, a really good tea. Real quick, daisies are edible. Ooh, I could have made a daisy tea. Um, their petals and blossoms give salads, desserts, smoothies, syrups, and Ooh. teas a unique and special How flavor. Did I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know, but time for the, the tea pouring. Look how red that tea is. Oh, that's really pretty. It is. Give there me that. Go. Give me that. Uh-huh. Oh, it smells real good. It does. I was a little worried because I saw the hibiscus. And I don't think it's hibiscus. You said hibiscus. Oh, shit, I did. You're right. Hibiscus <laughs> is like the fifth. There's like ten ingredients in this tea. So I really smell like orange. Mm -hmm. And there I really smell peel, cinnamon. And there is cinnamon. And jasmine and rose and violet and hibiscus and ginger. Oh, that's real toasty. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, that's hot. Just so if our, our our listeners didn't know, I drink my tea lukewarm. Jane, may, I make Jane a cup of tea. She takes 20 minutes to ignore it and then drinks it. <laughs> I I just, I have very sensitive taste buds, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure there's some, like, medical diagnosis of why God. my mouth hates If you're our food. listener and you're a doctor... <laughs> <laughs> Send help. Send Don't even tweet at tweet us. Tweet Just us. call 911. Tweet at us what you think is up with Jane. I mean, aside from everything else or in addition to everything else. So rather than getting into Jane's medical history, I'm going to give a plot summary of Hamlet. Just in case we all forgot, you know, in our let's get what, senior year English class when we read it, which is when I read it at least. I, yeah, senior year. English I read class, for yeah. Horatio because everyone knows that Hamlet and Horatio are actually gay. You just had to slip that in, didn't They're you? They're boyfriends, and I support them. Oh, my God. All right, read your plot summary. <laughs> I'm, I'm, read your plot summary. All right. So, on a dark winter night, a ghost walks the ramparts of Elsinore Castle in Denmark. Discovered first by a pair of watchmen, then by the scholar Horatio, the ghost resembles the recently deceased King Hamlet, whose brother Claudius has inherited the throne and married the king's widow, Queen Gertrude. Mmm. Love it. Yummy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So Jane's not gonna talk I, the rest of yeah, this episode. Yeah, I'm done. I'm checked out. <laughs> I apologize. When Horatio and the Watchmen bring Prince Hamlet, the son of Gertrude and the Dead King, to see the ghost, it speaks to him, declaring ominously that it is indeed his father's spirit, and that he was murdered by none other than Claudius. Ordering Hamlet to seek revenge on the man who usurped his throne and married his wife, the ghost disappears with the dawn. Ooh. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> I didn't know if you were looking for, like, a comment there. I was just so distracted. I've been, like, looking into my cup of tea for, like, five minutes, I swear. I'm gonna read your tea leaves. There's there's nothing, there's not enough There are no here. tea leaves in this because I, I strained it really well. We should do that for one of the episodes. If What's we an episode where a book covers, like, divination and, like, I don't know. Like Hey, if you have a book that covers divination, tweet at us and Burn we'll cover all that it. Spooky shit. Yeah, we love spooky things. We read a lot of tea leaves. I apologize. This podcast is gonna be a lot of me going off the rails. It's it's been a time. <laughs> well, getting back on the rails. <laughs> Prince Hamlet devotes himself to avenging his father's death, but because he is contemplative and thoughtful by nature, he delays. Entering into a deep melancholy and even apparent madness. Shocking. A man getting upset about something? Oh. oh. <laughs> I really hope and my not boyfriend doesn't listen to this. And not dealing with it in a healthy manner? Oh my god. Oh. We, men's toxic masculinity won't allow them to deal Jen, with Jen, that was emotions. last week's episode. We gotta move on. There's toxic masculinity in, in everything. everything. I know. We gotta read a book with no toxic masculinity. Uh, so we basically have to read about the Amazons? Hell yeah. All right. Claudius and Gertrude. <laughs> Claudius and Gertrude worry about the prince's erratic behavior and attempt to discover its cause. They employ a pair of Hamlet's friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, to watch him. Uh, was that a shout out because of the play? That's... Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. 
It's so good. Okay. That was, wow. I have so many questions and not enough answers. All right. Well, they employ a pair of Hamlet's friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, to watch him. And when Polonius, the pompous Lord Chamberlain... Oh, sorry. Sorry, burn my mouth. We're okay. Moving on. Sorry, I'm so sorry. When Polonius, the pompous Lord Chamberlain, suggests that Hamlet may be mad with love for his daughter Ophelia, Claudius agrees to spy on Hamlet in conversation with the girl. Great. Great. But though Hamlet certainly seems mad, he does not seem to love Ophelia. He orders her to enter a nunnery and declares that he wishes to ban marriage. Also, nunnery was like... It meant brothel. He's not telling her to become a nun. He's telling her to become a prostitute. I feel like oh. that's an important thing because I feel oh, like, what the fuck? like get me to a nunnery is really popular, but it does not mean nuns. I did not know that, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And if I'm wrong, I don't think I'm wrong. But if I'm wrong, just send us hate mail. Yeah, send us hate mail. Oh wow, that's wow, Makes that's really though. yeah. Fucked up, Hamlet's though. an asshole. All right. right. So a group of traveling actors come to Elsinore, and Hamlet seizes upon the idea to test his uncle's guilt. He will have the players perform a scene closely resembling the sequence by which Hamlet imagines his uncle to have murdered his father, so that if Claudius is guilty, he will surely react. When the moment of the murder arrives in the theater, Claudius leaps up and leaves the room. Hamlet and Horatio agree that this proves his guilt. Hamlet goes to kill Claudius, but finds him praying. Since he believes that killing Claudius while in prayer would send Claudius' soul to heaven, Hamlet considers that it would be an inadequate revenge and decides to wait. Claudius, now frightened of Hamlet's madness and fearing for his own safety, orders that Hamlet be sent to England at once. Wild. Okay, hold on. I'm just trying to wrap my head around everything. Is... Is basically leaving during a shitty play a sign that you're guilty of, like, murdering your brother? Because I would be so guilty of so many things Oh my for leaving plays. How many plays have you left at home? Probably, like, two. Why? Uh, they, I don't have reasons. Honestly, it was probably, like... I think both of them were, like, high school productions mm-hmm. that were, like, off one hand, like, one axe or something, that I was, like, yeah, I supported them, I saw it, and then I left during, like, halftime. Oh, that almost overfilled the teacup. That wouldn't be good. Okay, ba- basically ignore the fact that I'm a terrible human, and oh let's goodness. get back okay. to okay. this. I'm cutting all that. Don't. Or am I? You don't cut anything. That's kind of how we roll. Right. Hamlet goes to confront his mother, in whose bedchamber Polonius has hidden behind a tapestry. Hearing a noise from behind the tapestry, Hamlet believes the king is hiding there. He draws his sword and stabs through the fabric, killing Polonius. What? What? Why would you not look first? Because Hamlet's a dramatic hoe. You said that with so much sincerity and such a look on your face. I sincerely believe Hamlet is a dramatic hoe. I mean, like, you're not wrong. <laughs> this entire This is my play expert is, English major opinion. This entire play is based on Hamlet doing another play. Isn't that, like, the no, whole thing? No, that's a very small part of it. Okay, in my mind, it's the whole thing, so. <laughs> we just we covered that part, and it's done. Wait, but doesn't he do a play at the end, too? Well, we'll just have to see. Oh, my God, okay. Mm-hmm. So, Hamlet believes the king's hiding, draws a sword, stabs through the fabric, kills Polonius. For this crime, he is immediately dispatched to England with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. However, Claudius's plans for Hamlet include more than banishment, as he has given Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sealed orders for the king of England, demanding that Hamlet be put to death. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that's not good. No. For Hamlet. Not good for nobody. No. In the aftermath of her father's death, Ophelia goes mad with grief and drowns in the river. Polonius' son, Laertes, who has been staying in France, returns to Denmark in a rage. Claudius convinces him that Hamlet is to blame for his father's and sister's death, and when Horatio and the king receive letters from Hamlet indicating that the prince has returned to Denmark after pirates attacked his ship en route to England, (laughs) Claudius concocts a plan to use Laertes' desire for revenge to secure Hamlet's death. Are you just bringing up pirates because I've always want I've been wanting to cover pirates since no, the first episode. No, that's genuinely just a, a it's so what the main character gets kidnapped by pirates and it's not even a main plot point. Like Hamlet's fucking wild. I just really like pirates. I know we should read Treasure Island sometime. 
is there another book that has pirates? Because that'd be okay, too. It tweet at us suggestions of books with pirates. We say we've said that like twenty five <laughs> times this episode. All we, we had so us. much energy right off the bat, and I'm already, I'm already tired. Like I don't even know, man. I just I'm dying. God. Well, right. where where were we after the pirates? I got distracted by the pirates. Laertes, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Laertes. La- <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even looking I think at that's it. Super wrong. Okay. It's Laertes. Laertes will fence with Hamlet in an innocent sport, but Claudius will poison Laertes' <laughs> blade so that if he draws blood, Hamlet will die. Did you miss what I said? I did completely. I said Laertes. <laughs> Guys, I've been taking so much Motrin and cough drops. Like, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I'm on so many medications at the moment, and you just spilled <laughs> tea all down your shirt. Okay. Um, you know, the whole point of a podcast is that they can't tell if I do something embarrassing, <laughs> because they can't see it. But I'm in the same room as you, so you don't get <laughs> away with it. We need to start recording in separate rooms. <laughs> okay. Like we have a separate room to go to. I mean, I'll just move out. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I'm Don't kidding, I'm that. kidding. Okay, okay, Laertes' blade is poisoned so that if he draws blood, Hamlet will die. As a backup plan, because the king doesn't trust a hoe... The king decides to... <laughs> you mean you don't trust a titty? <laughs> no, I don't mean that at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So the king decides to poison a goblet, which he will give to Hamlet to drink should Hamlet score the first or second hits of the match. Yum. Sounds good, right? Foolproof. Poison sword, poison goblet. Shocking. Does this go bad? <gasps> we'll just have to find out. When? <laughs> In the I... next, like, minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hamlet was... <laughs> Why did I just call him? <laughs> did you just always call him Hammurabi? <laughs> no, okay no that. that wasn't where I was going with it. I just like couldn't talk for a second. All right, so my boy Hamlet, <laughs> your boy Hamlet, your boy Hamlet, your boy Hamlet. Moving on, he returns to the vicinity of Elsinore just as Ophelia's funeral is taking place. Great. Stricken with grief, he attacks Laertes and declares that he had always, in fact, loved Ophelia. Ooh, yikes. Oh, really? Really, buddy? Buddy. Back at the castle, he tells Horatio that he believes one must be prepared to die, since death can come at any moment. A foolish courtier named Osric arrives on Claudius's orders to arrange the fencing match between Hamlet and Laertes. The sword fighting begins. Hamlet scores the first hit, but declines to drink from the king's proffered goblet. Instead, Gertrude takes a drink from it and is swiftly killed by the poison. Also, wow. Gertrude does nothing this whole play other than, like, listen to the men around her. And the one time she does something on her own, Claudius is like, don't drink from it. And she was like, oh, but I shall. And then she dies. So I don't know if Shakespeare's trying to say that women, like, shouldn't talk. I mean... Or if Gertrude's just fucking stupid. <sighs> I mean, Shakespeare did write Gertrude as a character, so I do think partially it's women should not be allowed to voice their own opinions. Mm -hmm. Because she does and she dies. That's just something I remember. Please stop waving that cup around. Still got tea in it, boys. (laughs) You're making me so nervous. Okay, so yeah, Gertrude takes a drink, killed by the poison. Yep. Layer titties, succeeds in wounding (laughs) Hamlet, though Hamlet does not die of the poison immediately. I'm so sorry. First, Laertes is cut by his own sword's blade, and after revealing to Hamlet that Claudius is responsible for the queen's death, he dies from the blade's poison. Hamlet then stabs Claudius through with the poison sword and forces him to drink down the rest of the poisoned wine. Claudius dies, and Hamlet dies immediately after achieving his revenge. Wait, why did did Hamlet get hit? How did Hamlet die? Why did Hamlet die? I'm looking. (laughs) Laertes succeeds in wounding Hamlet. Though Hamlet does not die of the poison immediately. But then, does he take the sword and then stab Laertes? <laughs> First, Laertes is cut by his own sword after revealing to Hamlet that Claudius is responsible for the queen's uh... death. And he dies from the blade's poison. I'm just rereading this spark notes thing because Jane didn't listen the first time. <laughs> I'm sorry to all of our listeners. Okay, 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 okay. Hamlet dies immediately after achieving his revenge. 
And at this moment, a Norwegian prince named Fortinbras, who has led an army to Denmark and attacked Poland earlier in the play, enters with the ambassadors from England, who report that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Hmm, how did they die? They just, they died. Fortinbras is stunned by the gruesome sight of the entire royal family lying sprawled on the floor dead. He moves to take power of the kingdom. Horatio, Hamlet's boyfriend, fulfilling <laughs> Hamlet's last request, tells him Hamlet's tragic story. Fortinbras order that Hamlet be carried away in a manner befitting a fallen soldier. Mm. Alright. Cool, cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. Tight, tight, tight. Oh, Alright, no, let's no, hear right. let's hear about the man behind the myth, the legend, the Hamlet. Our boy Billy Shakes. Our boy <laughs> Billy shakes it up. He does the Harlem shake. That makes me want to die. I I died saying that and then couldn't stop myself. I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, okay, so William Shakespeare was, um, born? We really don't know. He was baptized oh, in 1564. Because yep. religion means everything. Because, but we don't know when he was, like, we think he was born then. Let's like, be real, Shakespeare's an alien. Bro. What? Wild. So yeah, but he was an English poet, playwright, and actor, widely regarded as both the greatest writer in the English language and the world's preeminent dramatist. He's often called English na England's national poet and the Bard of Avon. Mm -hmm. his, his works, including collaborations, consist of approximately 39 plays, 154 sonnets, two long narrative poems, and a few other verses, some of uncertain authorship. And his plays have been translated into every major living language and are performed more often than those of any other playwright. Okay, he has to be an alien because who has the mental capacity to write that many plays well, and sonnets and other things mm -hmm. and stuffs like realist like what what are you doing like did he not what? have a <laughs> did he not have a wife and kids he did have friends? a wife and kids did he have friends like I how does he have know. all this time i can't write a single paper for a class <laughs> without dying Valid. all right so i will say with shakespeare there's so much information out there about his life so rather than reading like a he was born here and did this and that. I have ten things you didn't know about William Shakespeare. Oh, heck which, yeah. If you want to know about Shakespeare's life, you can go read the Wikipedia article. That's yeah. not what I am here for. All right, let's so, let's, let's get jazzy with it, kids. Shakespeare's father held a lot of different jobs, and at one point he got paid to drink beer. That's a mood. So, John Shakespeare was nothing if not upwardly mobile. He began dabbling in various trades in 1551 upon moving to Stratford-upon-Avon. He sold leather goods, wool, malt, corn, and then in 1556 he was appointed the borough's official ale taster, meaning he was responsible for inspecting bread and malt liquors. Just bread, bread and booze. Wow. <laughs> Is that still a job? I don't know, you can look did, up being a borough's official ale taster and you can see. Do, do they take a bachelor's in art? <laughs> Alright, so another fun fact that we don't talk about very much. Shakespeare married an older woman who was three months pregnant at the time of their what? marriage. Shotgun wedding. Wait, yeah. three months pregnant with his kid or yeah, someone yeah, yeah, else's? Yeah, yeah. We're pretty sure it's his kid. Pretty sure? I mean, it, you know what? In November of 1582, 18-year-old William wed no. Anne Hathaway, a farmer's daughter, eight years his senior. What? Yeah. She was... 26. 26, thank you. I yeah. don't do math. I'm Same. a psychology yeah, major. I'm an English major. What makes you think I do math? Good, 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 good question. Good. All right. But instead what? of the customary three times, the couple's intention to marry was only announced at church once. Evidence that the union was hastily arranged because of Anne's eyebrow-raising condition. Oh, yeah, the condition, meaning her yeah. gigantic So, six stomach. months after the wedding, the Shakespeare's welcomed a daughter, Susanna, and the twins Hamnet and Judith followed in February of 1585. Little is known about the relationship between William and Anne, besides that they often lived apart, and that he only bequeathed her his second best bed in his will. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> what? That's the question. What? What does that mean? I don't know. And another funky fact about Shakespeare, nobody knows what he did between 1585 and 1592. There are, like, no records. because So there's the records of the twins' baptism in 1585, and then in 1592, the playwright Robert Greene denounced him in a pamphlet as an upstart crow. And the insult suggests that he'd already made a name for himself on the stage by then, but we, like, don't know. Like, 
historians have speculated everything from like he worked as a school teacher, studied law, traveled across continental Europe, or joined an acting troupe that was passing through Stratford. According to one 17th century account, he fled his hometown after poaching deer from a local politician's estate. <laughs> so Shakespeare's more relatable than we think. I too would yes. just flee for like seven years, seven or eight years if something went wrong. Yeah, you totally would, but like I have questions about Shakespeare. Like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Was he just like chilling in a brothel for I like don't seven know. years? I mean, he talks he... a lot about brothels in his plays, so you know he's got to have some experience in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read Measure for Measure? It's nothing but jokes about brothels. Do you think I've read Measure for Measure? You haven't. The look on your face tells me that you have not, in fact, read Measure for Measure. All right. What's the What's the All next right. one? Fact? Shakespeare's plays feature the first written instances of hundreds of familiar terms. So he's believed to have influenced the English language more than any other writer in history, coining or at the very, very least popularizing terms and phrases that we still use today. Like? So some of the best ones. Uh, fashionable, from Troilus and Cressida. Hmm. Sanctimonious, from Measure for Measure. Eyeball, from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Lackluster, as you like it. And the expressions foregone conclusion, from Othello. In a pickle, from The Tempest. Wild Goose Chase from Romeo and Juliet, and One Fell Swoop in Macbeth. Whoa. Yeah. All and right. he's also credited with inventing the given names Olivia, Miranda, Jessica, and Cordelia, which have been com become common over the years. And he also wrote names such as Nerissa and Titania, which did not become common over the years. I'm naming my second born Titania after what was my first born named? We talked about this in a previous episode. Did we? Yeah. I don't remember. Pretty sure it was the Medea episode. Pretty sure I'm naming your kids Medea and Titania. No, it was the um, Glaus. Glaus. Are her names actually like Glauke? Yeah, yeah. I, I misredaction. I mispronounced her name. We just covered Medea in one of my theater classes, and the professor pronounced it like Glauke. 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 No, it's or Glaus or something with like a C. <laughs> pronounced the C. It's Glaus. All right. All right. And another fun fact is we probably don't spell Shakespeare's name correctly, but then again, neither did he. So he would misspell his name all the time. Like, there's, like, 80 to, up to 80 different ways, ranging ranging from Shapir to Shaxbird. And in a handful of signatures that have survived, he never spelled his own name, like, William Shakespeare. He used, like, Will M. Shakp, Wilm Shakspur, and William Shakespeare. However, it is spelled Shakespeare, and it's thought to derive from the Old English word shocken to brandish and spear, and probably referred to a confrontational or argumentative person. Was Shakespeare illiterate? That's actually um, one of the fun facts that may be coming up. What? Okay, okay, uh, okay. Some people think Shakespeare was a fraud. How did a provincial commoner who had never gone to college or ventured outside Stratford become one of the most prolific, worldly, and eloquent writers in history? Even in his early career, Shakespeare was spinning tales that displayed in-depth knowledge of international affairs, European capitals, and history, as well as a familiarity with the royal court and high society. And for this reason, some theorists have suggested that one or several authors wishing to conceal their true identity used the person of William Shakespeare as a front. Whoa. And proposed candidates include Edward de Vere, Francis Bacon, Christopher Marlowe, and Mary Sidney Herbert. And most scholars and literary historians remain really skeptical about this hypothesis, although many, many suspect that Shakespeare sometimes collaborated with other playwrights. I mean, there was the whole controversy that popped up that he had stolen another play playwright's work. That happened too, but the one thing I will say with Shakespeare is like, I think it's like every play he ever wrote except for like The Tempest is derived from a previously existing source. Yeah, I, I'll talk Which, about like, that. Which, like, I will yeah. say, I will say that makes me more likely to believe that it's him because, like, yeah, he might not have known all of the information about the courts and high society, but, like, if he's just ripping off earlier playwrights, like, or earlier stories and just taking pre-existing stories, because I want to say The Tempest is the only one that's, like, wholly original, and The Tempest is wild. There's no high society on that island. It's just magicians and, like, a dude named Caliban. Like, it's a weird play. That sounds more accurate than mm -hmm. High Society. Sure does. Alright. So now that we've gotten through our fun facts about our boy Billy Shakes, <laughs> let's see what 
fun, fun things Jane wants to talk about today. I actually am going to actually talk about fun things. I'm not talking about... Not like depression. I'm not going to talk about his or Ophelia's depression or Ophelia's suicide or like... The incest. The incest. I'm actually going to focus on the supernatural stuff and... We love ghosts. We love ghosts. We talk to ghosts all... I talk to ghosts all the time. Remember the ghost in our room last year? Wow. She communicated, or they, they, they communicated. communicated through the lights. They communicated through the lights. Um, anyways, so I love ghosts, and I'm going to get... At BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> I'm going to begin, I'm going to get through, like, a little bit, like, towards more of that stuff, but, so Hamlet has a lot of, like, supernatural activity in the book, um... Much of Hamlet's angst and vengeance path is derived from the interaction between Hamlet and his father Hamlet. Uh, this and his father Hamlet. <laughs> it gets both me every Hamlet. time. This interaction King originally Hamlet versus Prince Hamlet. Wow. Uh, this interaction originally is not accepted by Hamlet, as he believes his father is not his father, but rather the devil. Uh, Hamlet must consider whether the ghostly image is a temptation designed to allow him to forfeit his mortal soul or his father beseeching his son to avenge his murder. Um, eventually through the events of the novel, Hamlet begins to believe the apparition is his real father and then goes on to his whole vengeance path that we talked about earlier. Um, so I wanted to look a little deeper into the psychology of apparitional experiences or ghosts. Um, so demons, witches, and ghosts have been thought to come out during the witching hour, or devil's night, which is a time of night associated with supernatural events. During devil's hour, evil spirits are thought to be the most powerful, and black magic is thought to be the most effective. Is there a specific time when, because I hear about the Uh, witching hour being anywhere from, my next sentence. Okay. So this Great time, minds think alike. <laughs> this time frame in Western Christian tradition mm-hmm. is between three and four a.m. I'm not entirely sure why I didn't get that far. Psychological literature suggests that apparitional experiences and sensed uh, presences are most common between the hours of two and four a.m., which correspond with a three a.m. peak and the amount of melatonin in the body. Ooh. Um, I actually found a study looking at dream precognition. Precognition around that 3 a.m. melatonin spike, and they found that dream bizarreness, which is supposed to be mediated by melatonin, um, was actually higher at 8 a.m., which is a period of, like, uh, low melatonin rather than 3 a.m. So, basically, our dreams are not as bizarre at 3 a.m. as we thought. Potentially, that's what it means. I don't know. I didn't get the full article. All right. <laughs> did it only give you the abstract? It and only you gave pay me the abstract. The rest of the I didn't want to pay. That's an academia mood. So, um, this whole study of this is called parapsychology. Ooh, like paranormal? Yeah. I like it. So, this is the study of paranormal and psychic phenomenon, including telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, psycho. Kinesis? Psychokinesis? Psychokinesis, thank you. Near-death experiences, reincarnation, apparitional experiences, and other paranormal claims. I definitely want to get more into this. It sounds so cool. (laughs) So it's just going to do all this research in her free time because she loves ghosts. Because I have so much free time. (laughs) So (laughs) it is identified as pseudoscience by a vast majority of mainstream scientists. Um... Parapsychology research is largely conducted by private institutions and is funded through private donations. Shocking, it's Mm -hmm. not accepted in the wide medical field. Um, It's also been criticized for continuing investigation despite being unable to provide convincing evidence (laughs) for the existence of any psychic phenomenon for more than a century of research. Hmm. People just really like ghosts. I love ghosts. I understand. Um, also the YouTube videos that are like, I saw a ghost are sometimes really convincing. Can I actually tell a quick story about when someone thought that I was a ghost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I had a really weird job where I worked at one of those historic sites where people dress up in period clothing, right? Mm -hmm. And we did an overnight event to like, like life as a soldier for 24 hours, basically, where we like, you know, cooked the food and wore the clothes and slept in the Mm -hmm. bed. I was like 15, 16 when I had this job. And me and two of my friends in this group were, you know, in our full uniform. It's about 11 p.m. And we're on 
the edges because we worked at a fort. And we were kind of hanging out on like the edge wall or the fort we were at overlooks like a lake. There's lots of boaters on the lake. It's late at night. We're kids. We're in this full period clothes. And this boat, and you know, some boats have headlights at night. Oh boy. And this boat with its headlights comes driving up the lake and the headlights kind of pan up to the fort. They land on us on the wall. The lights shut off and the boat whips around and speeds back in the other direction. <gasps> That's so, so those good. So people absolutely thought that they saw like young, like 16 year old, like war soldier ghosts. That's actually really, like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so I, someone thought I was a ghost. I love that. I want to be a ghost. Well, no, no. <laughs> I should be free. You have to I... die first. And? <laughs> College is making me want to die at this valid. point. Big mood. Okay. Sorry, aside from my ghost story, back to Jane's psychology of ghosts. So, in parapsychology, an apparitional experience is an anomalous experience characterized by the apparent perception of either a living being or an inanimate object without there being any material stimulus for such a perception. Um, The term apparitional experience basically means ghost. Uh, The term ghost... Spooky. Almost Halloween. It is. The term ghost implies that some element of human being survives death and can make itself perceptible to living human beings, Hmm. which is really cool. Um, And I think this is the form that Shakespeare is trying to, like, have Hamlet's dad show up as Hamlet Sr., if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Call me. They don't have a last name. It's just Call me Hamlet. Mr. King was my father. Leave the room. That was right really now. bad. I'm gonna apologize <laughs> to all of our listeners right now. So the supernatural in this play was a way for Shakespeare to introduce the presence of evil or evil wrongdoings and to give us a clue to the dark forces at work, i.e., Hamlet's father getting murdered by his brother. As, as it goes. As it you goes. Know, families be like that. Yeah. In Shakespeare's time, the supernatural, uh, witches and spells and the tinkering with men's life was a reality of every day uh the king at the time king james the first was very interested in witches and witchcraft which is why shakespeare put three witches in his tribute play macbeth we love the witches in macbeth at least i love the witches in macbeth i have not read macbeth so it's so good Alrighty, <laughs> we'll get to that but um yeah so that's kind of like some of the like psychology behind ghosts i do have a funky thing is this gonna be like the whole sperm alcohol thing with medea not entirely (laughs) i do go into some more scientific stuff but it's more botany this week i'm so intrigued wait did you also talk about the flowers no what what other botany is in hamlet you will see so, Hamlet is thought to be derived from uh, Historia uh, Donica, which is which was written by Saxa Grammaticus in the 12th century. I really hope I pronounced that well because it sounded smooth and I just wanted that to be the real pronunciation. Um, but the manner of how Hamlet's father was killed was changed, most likely by Shakespeare for dramatic effect, because in the original story... Um, the father is murdered by his brothers with swords. Ooh, I like mm-hmm. that. So, Hamlet's father reveals in his ghouly interaction with Hamlet that his... I know that's not a word, ghouly. I know. I think it is. It's not. Um, <laughs> reveals in his ghouly interaction with Hamlet that his brother poured juice of cursed hebanon in his ear, mm-hmm. killing him. The manner of Hamlet's father's death is particularly interesting because it was likely suggested to Hamlet and not an original thought. Shocking. Um, There are two theories as to where he might have found this. So the first being that Shakespeare may have learned about an internal connection between the ear and the throat from... Oh, wow, I did not look this up beforehand. That was my bad, like, pronunciation-wise. Estachio's essay de... Odysseus? Organus? I'm not entirely sure whether it means something to do with organs. Um, It was published 40 years before the first performance of Shakespeare's Hamlet in 1601. Ancient Greeks had known about the 
Estachian tube, but Estachio gave the first detailed description um, that was like likely known by educated people in Elizabethan England. It wasn't like something that was secretive. And that's like this tube that connects from your ear into your Jane's mouth. Jane's making gestures right now as though everyone can see her. Yes. <laughs> I was mainly trying to explain to you, but it's like something that goes from your ear into your throat. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other theory was that the physicians of the time knew that a fluid placed in an ear with a perforated membrane or a punctured eardrum could find its way to the mouth and be swallowed. And punctured eardrums were actually pretty common in Elizabeth, Elizabethan England because antibiotics were not yet in common practice to reduce ear infections. Hmm. And ear infections cause punctured eardrums. So Shakespeare may have learned this from his physician friends and thought it would be an interesting death. In addition to this, the method of murder adds to Hamlet's suspicion of the ghost because the poison in the ear method leaves no trace of foul play, so it would have been hard to distinguish murder from natural death. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So just quickly looking into Hebanon. Should have made a Hebanon tea. <sighs> no. I know. I know it's poisonous, but what a connection that would be. So, Hebanon is a, I'm definitely not saying this right either, but Hebanon is a botanical substance in Hamlet, but its identity and nature is unknown. It is likely different from hemlock because Shakespeare has specifically mentioned hemlock before in other Mm -hmm. plays. Um, It's basically something that we don't know the identity of, but there are theories. So, one of the first theories is that it is you... Yeah, I'm going to call it you. Or Taxus Bacata? You is in like Y-E-W? Y-E-W, yes. Okay. Because of the similarity in symptoms. So English U releases cytotoxic pollen that causes headaches, lethargia, aching joints, itching, and skin rashes, and it is also a trigger for asthma. Um, and the actual ingestion of English U can cause U poisoning, the symptoms of which include accelerated heart rate, muscle tremors, convulsion, collapse, difficulty breathing, circulation impairment, and eventually cardiac arrest. Fun times. Yep. However, uh, there may be no symptoms, and if the poisoning remains undetected, death may occur in hours. So, you can either eat you and have all the symptoms and die, or you can eat you and have none of the symptoms and just die. So you die or you die? Yeah. What you gonna do? (laughs) Yep. Um, but before people worry, fatal poisoning in humans is very rare. Okay, And it usually only occurs after consuming you foliage, so the leaves. So don't eat random leaves. Yes, random leaves that have red berries on them. They look so tasty. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point. (laughs) Um, so, another possibility is henbane, or stinking nightshade, is the other name for it, which I just thought was funny. Stinking nightshade. Stinking nightshade. So, henbane ingestion by humans is followed by peripheral inhibition, thank you, and- Release your inhibitions. (laughs) Feel the rain on your skin. No one else can feel it for you. Only you can let it in. All right, moving on. That was a dramatic reading. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) You just made it worse than I made it. Yeah, I know. That was the point. So another, so henbane ingestion by humans is followed by peripheral inhibition and central stimulation. Common effects include hallucinations, dilated pupils, restlessness, and flushed skin. Um, there is also the possibility of hypertension, vomiting, lack of voluntary coordination of muscle movements, extreme elevation of body temperature, and increased heart rates. So I should not have made tea out of any of these things, is what I'm hearing. No, but there's something to do with that in a little (laughs) bit. I forgot your computer was a touchscreen. Hold on, lost my place. All right. So the initial effects typically last three to four hours, and the after effects may last up to three days of just pain. Overdoses can result in delirium, coma, respiratory paralysis, and death. But 
Small dosings can be inebriating and have aphrodisiac effects. Oh, so I could have made us a tea as long as it was a small dose. Yeah. Um, also, a fun fact. In 2008, celebrity chef Anthony Warhol Thompson recommended henbane as a tasty addition to salads. Oh, no, buddy. Um, don't worry. He said he made a mistake, and the magazine sent their subscribers an urgent uh, message telling them it should not be eaten. He had mixed up the herb with, or, like, that specific plant with another plant called Fat Hen. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so no one actually knows what the hell the plant is that was used as poison. Oh, I love Shakespeare, man. But, like, there's a couple theories. Um, they don't have enough evidence to conclusively say it was anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of happened. That's so wild. Yeah. Like, So I thought that damn. would be, that would be, that was, that was fun. That was fun. I wanted to pick a little topic that made me feel, like, happier. Even poison less- plants. <laughs> poison plants. <laughs> poison plants make Jane happy. After toxic masculinity, I was tired. And, like, adolescence dying in the war, and then Medea killing her children. Just all these bad topics. Yeah, <laughs> I was really tired, and I just wanted to talk about some ghosty boys. I support you. So we're actually, oh, we're going back to our regular scheduled program of talking about shitty, shitty characters. characters. So Mackenzie, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So Here. my shitty character is, dun 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 Hamlet. Shocking. Yeah. Fucking shocking. He's kind of a dick. Well, specifically in the way he treats Ophelia. Yeah. Like, I got beef with that. So, like... Ophelia is so, like, passive and obedient and whatnot, so she really never fights back at Hamlet when he's being an ass. And he, like, knows that Ophelia is helping her dad spy on him and accuses her and all women of being a breeder of sinners and orders Ophelia to a nunnery, which, as we've previously said, is a a brothel. And she can't call him out on this language, though, because she's a good girl and she can't admit that she knows what it means. I mean... Same when I'm at Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> with my family, but like, but like this is the girl that he's supposedly into. Ha- okay, I agree with you. Hamlet is fucking Hamlet's, gay. Yeah, <laughs> Hamlet and Horatio are dating, but that's the side point. He's still a shitty person, and he just like keeps going. And he says that if Ophelia were to marry, she'd turn her husband into a monster or a cuckold, and she would inevitably cheat on him, and you know all this jazz. And Ophelia is pretty mad about this, and she gives this whole like. And I, of ladies most dejected and wretched that sucked the honey of his music vows, now see that noble and most sovereign reason out of time and harsh. Just trying her best. Yeah. And she can't do anything about it. And she, her whole reputation depends on her not saying anything. And then she goes mad. Yeah, and he just, Hamlet's just a dick. Hamlet sucks. Shh. Hamlet sucks so much. God, who's that? I mean, that's really, I just got beef with Hamlet. Also, he's, like, mad at his mom because she, like, expresses attraction. Like, yeah, it's kind of shitty that she married his uncle, but, like, he still gets mad. He's mad in general that she, like, has feelings. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, Hamlet's kind of the worst. What about your shitty character? So, I actually, I kind of figured you were going to go with Hamlet, and I didn't want to talk about the brother, Claudius, Claudius. or, like, uh, Polonius, or anything like that. Mm. I didn't really feel like it, so I kind of adapted what our criteria oh, was. Oh, I think you mentioned this to me earlier. Yeah, so, um, I actually sort of, can like, I, I'm considering shitty character in how the author writes their shitty character. Um, so I'm just gonna quickly steal back the computer. Scroll all the way, yep, right there. There. So, um, I sort of, I hate the way that Shakespeare writes Ophelia. Yeah, I hate the way that he writes a lot of women. So, basically, I hate the way that he writes Ophelia because if you look at her character, she's single-dimensional. One-dimensional. One-dimensional, thank you, couldn't think of the term. Yep, I wrote single-dimensional. We're gonna ignore that. (laughs) Okay. Like, she's caring for Hamlet, but he treats her like trash. And, like, Hamlet writes her as though she's unwitting, stupid, useless, just another woman in the castle that has to go along with everything. She's there to basically make Hamlet look humane, Mm -hmm. and I hate that. And, like, 
I feel like her character could have been so much, like, more developed. Yep. And I just think that she's a poorly written character. Yeah, I agree. She could have been written so much more developed. Because if you look at her death scene, it's when it... It's, like, the scene where she gets to talk the most in, like, the whole play. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Like, the way that she took her own life is kind of badass. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've seen so many, like, art adaptations of it. It's just, like, every single time it's depicted so beautifully. And I think a lot of times it's not because it's, like, oh, this poor woman took her own life and, like, she must be depicted beautifully. I think a lot of it is, like, to her character. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, like, the that final moment of her life is when she grabbed a hold of it. And I think that Shakespeare honestly, like, stifled her character yep. a lot. Which I think, just based on hints here and there, if he wasn't so focused on making Hamlet the center of fucking attention, mm-hmm. she could have been given a larger part. She could have. And, like, he's not terrible at writing. He, he sometimes does write good women. Like, he is, like, Rosalind and As You Like It mm-hmm. is my hero. Same with, like, Viola and Twelfth Night. Like, he's not... He can write well-written women. He just didn't hear. And it's such a shame, because this was honestly, like... This play could have used a badass woman, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were, like, no badass women in this play. The two women that we have are Ophelia, who ends up taking her own life because a man won't love her back, and... Well, and also calls her a prostitute, which, I mean, like, understandable. (laughs) In the sense of, like, being distraught about that. And then Gertrude, who, like has to just be the doting mother, can't express any forms of attraction, but also, like, marries her brother-in-law. Yep. And then dies because she drinks from a poisoned cup. As soon as she gets, like, an ounce an of An ounce her... of agency. She's, she's gone. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Damn it, Shakespeare. Yeah, just very frustrating. But, yeah, that's, I just wanted to take, like, a little bit of an adaptation on that because oh, I... Think I think that works. I like it. Yeah. It's creative. Yeah. So, do we have any final thoughts now that our character is just broken down? The Lion King is the equivalent of a modern adaptation of Hamlet. It is. I feel like everyone knows that, but I still think it's a really fun fact. Yeah. Also, The Lion King on um, Broadway, or off-Broadway, technically, is fantastic. You saw it on tour. I did see it That's the word for how you saw it. Thank you. I don't watch musicals. (laughs) It's good. So, this is now an ad for The Lion King. (laughs) Someone um, please sponsor us. We talk about a lot of products and events and people. We don't have enough viewers to even get, like, a <laughs> Everyone viewership. just listen to our podcast on loop and maybe we can convince someone to sponsor us. That'd be good. Alright, <laughs> I'm gonna call it here because we're just <laughs> rambling now. So, thank you so much for listening to Spilling Tea. The tea is spilt and the covers are closed. See you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye.